0: Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent, and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. Today, we're focusing on one of the key talking points and challenges facing organizations and people today, that of agility. And this is part two of a deep dive special on this subject right across technology, people, culture and skills considerations and in excellent company. With Brad Mallard, CTO for Northern West Europe at Fujitsu. And a member of Fujitsu's global CTO office, and Nick Herbert, Head of Portfolio, Applications and Multi Cloud at Fujitsu. Let's jump straight back into our conversation. Perhaps we can go back to, because you touched on this uh, earlier around like the nature of space, basically. And we were talking about, you know, agility in business, enabling people to work from anywhere kind of mode we've talked about. Um, And again, something that's having a lot of reflection at the moment, this transition point about new working weeks, what does that really look like? Um, As we talked about earlier, kind of co-creative spaces in the office. Um, Are you seeing other kind of ripple effects from that as well? So something that came up in a recent survey was effect on like power dynamics in organisations. I wonder what else you're seeing from this kind of move away or the hybrid office so to speak and perhaps nick first on
1: that Thanks, exactly. um it's a really interesting topic i think mean, you, you could go in so many different ways from from that the fact that there's now an a, hate the term but a new normal a, a new proven model that broke that breaks the 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 perceived model that had to exist in the in the past whether it's in, a, in an office and it's x amount of hours and there's a commute and your day-to-day life looks like looks like this for most people that that's how we've been and now we've proven that we we can keep we certainly keep the lights on, and in some some examples, accelerate growth with a completely different working model, a completely completely different ecosystem, um, and that that drives I think that drives more innovation across multiple facets of, of of a business, whether it's in HR and the way we contract and the way we we we, we do working weeks and hours. Um, or if it's in in management structures and, and the way that we can engage with teams virtually, and, and there have been some some really interesting studies around the, the kind of health and safety impact of having workers who aren't in the office, and, and where does the obligation lie, and how do you make sure people are safe? Um, if somebody has a, a even a health event at home while they're in working hours, how do you stay in touch? How, how do you how do you keep people safe? How do you safeguard your staff? Uh, and there's a lot more to do, I think, in in that particular one, and I think some of the um, kind of remote working service providers. Going back to the Microsofts, the Citrix of the world, and, and Amazons have a role to play to help enable a safety in a remote workforce. If I switch gears slightly and go back to more management structures, I, I think that there has been such a shift that we can start to adopt and adapt different models. Um, and, and we've been talking about more agility and whether that's a squad or a 2 pizza team or, or whatever it is smaller groups and clusters of people that can that can swarm together around a business problem to create value regardless of where they might sit within the hierarchy of an organisation. And I think I hope that the hierarchy of an organisation will be disrupted as much as the, the where do you work layout as, as we've engaged together, whether it's something as extreme as, as a holacracy type approach, which I, I know has, has, has its kind of favourites and, 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 and doubters. And I don't think it's the right model, certainly not in, in its full fat. The, the ability for those types of different ecosystems, different hierarchical or organizational structures to exist, where organizations can still function, there are still boundaries, but there are, anyone can challenge anybody else, anyone can have an idea, anyone can, doesn't have to go through three layers of management to go back down another three layers of management for people to connect and to start innovating together. I I hope, and I, I'm i seeing the start of it, I think there's going to be a lot more of, of that. Fertilization of of ideas, regardless of silos and structures and, and departmental boundaries, and on the innovation point, I, I'm, I think I'm still on the fence. I, I, I think there's there's a lot a lot of value that this this kind of remote working setup has, has given us. Innovation is one where we're still able to do it, but the face to face workshop nature of of challenging each other, seeing whiteboarding and, and discussing ideas through, I, I do think it's lost a little bit of its its humanity. Um, There are lots of methods that we've used, whether it's kind of virtual whiteboarding and other things to to break that through and Zoom and all the video conferencing certainly helps. Um, Physical spaces spaces as well as virtual spaces are are equally important, but we need to find a, a dynamic once it's safe to allow people to still innovate and engage with each other and find a model that works best depending on what that scenario is that they're working with.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And one thing that sprung to mind as you were talking there as well on a slightly different way was how it's showing the art of the possible for inclusion. I would say, you know, we've shown what we can do with different kind of working days uh, and, you know, spreading them out a little bit, um, giving giving more space to be able to do the things you need to do, you know, for around, around school runs and things like that. Something as simple as that. I think we've shown there's been a lot more compassion and understanding. People have find out more about each other even even when you go on a zoom call and you see the background and you're and you're chatting chatting away and you ask things differently about your teammates for example than you might have done previously there's been a different empathy I think that's come to the fore from these kind of conversations and I think it's starting to show you know you, there are different ways for that, that job to be undertaken and it doesn't necessarily have to be squeezed into you know the traditional nine to five so to speak there's ways to do that and spread it out a little that allows people to be able to do multi roles, if you know what I mean, and do them incredibly well. And the research so far that's coming out is that things around productivity, satisfaction, and happiness you know, has has been increasing over this time. So that was what I, just when you were talking there, I just wanted to bring that out as well, because I think it's changing the nature of that type of conversation as well. And, you know, I've, I've you know, some women in tech groups that I've been working with, people have been saying, hey, I can do that. I didn't think I could before, but I know I can now. So that's really, really interesting as well. So forgive me to jump in there, but I just, yeah, I just wanted to mention that one as well. Uh, Brad, what are, you, what are you seeing on this?
2: So I think um, the essence of people being comfortable and learning to... Work and engage remotely has been really quite liberating, actually, and I think the essence of decentralisation of the world, I think, is uh, is is one that we'll see an acceleration of as a result. I.e., people just dropping into the office in citizen and major headquarters, or or use of buildings and facilities for creative work and co-creation work, rather than just general hot desking type work. I think is is really just beginning. I think you, know, you only have to look at property markets to work out that people are looking for gardens and space and they're moving further farther afield than cities to to be able to work and, and, and live a, a more balanced, you know, kind of meaningful or, or mindful life, if you like. So uh, so I think, I think at one level, I think it's kind of been really liberating for, for people and it's given the ability for people to spend more time together as families and with friends and maybe to, to reduce some of that you know <clears throat> tiredness that comes with constant commutes. I think another level, which I think is more interesting still, is the essence of um, inclusivity from the use of remote working tools and ways of working, uh, and uh, and if you think about people that are you know, spread out of, across the world or teams collaborating from different geographies and locations, um, a- actually, it's kind of uh, I think now people start to really learn how to use the tools. It gives everybody an equal voice to a point. You know, the 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 loudest voice in the room or kind of situations that have occurred when you're in meetings and people are maybe a little shy to to engage face to face especially if you've got you know sort of a particularly vocal or or kind of aggressive sort of people that tend to try and manage and lead conversations that that, that actually the, the essence of inclusive inclusivity and in remote work has really helped with the engagement of, of people and giving everybody an opportunity to 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 put their hand up and say, actually right, no, I, I am, I am willing and I am able. Yeah, I might not be on video, I might not com- be comfortable on video, but at least I'm able to 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 put myself out there. I've had time to maybe think or I've had time to 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 be an equal with others. And I think this is this is kind of a, an essence that I think has really improved. And it's certainly through through the more recent advents of things like 365 and and Teams and others, also given access to the ability to interact with People with different languages, and/or um, you know, at least sort of provide your real-time subtitles to the interaction with people as well. So, the the, the 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 diversity and inclusiveness of remote working, I think, is something that people have overlooked, but I think actually is a real opportunity if people start to really embrace the more recent enhancements to technology and the use of AI in these collaboration tools, for example. So, so I think that's just another another slight different lens that I think um, I think people and organisations should be looking to embrace and and capitalize on I think as as opportunities to embrace broader expertise from across the world as another advent of you know the changing world and the changing world of work um uh, also brings you know capitalizing on, on talent and technical skill and or or other skills uh, from across the world that's kind of really critical but I do think the essence of being in contact and connected from a human mi- mindfulness and well-being perspective is really important and, uh, and we're certainly seeing the work your way initiative that we're driving that people are encouraged to come and interact on a regular-ish basis I mean we, 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 it's still a real slow ramp up but certainly for teams that want to do creative and innovative work spending some time together just to be able to get to know each other and, and, and get that human touch and human interaction that people so crave I think is something that shouldn't be overlooked and I think that will be the change in nature of how office space works and Building, as we've done, you're changing our space to be more enabled to create and work together and co-create in a more human sense rather than just the hot desk, you know, sort of sitting face to face in in a line of people on a desk that once was.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of from that meeting point of view, it's that democratization of voice, isn't it? And that confidence that that I mentioned earlier on. I totally agree with that. I love what you said about the kind of real time subtitling as well around accessibility, seeing some great things around AI as well, really supporting that with some some, um, transcribing um, developments as well. That's been super useful around presentations and things too. Um, And absolutely, I think the other word that springs to mind is community. We're talking about this co-creation there, whether it's virtual or in person, there's been, again, some great advances about how you bring people together and replicate the difficult aspect around socialization that you get, you know, from events and and the in-person space, et cetera. But there's been a lot lot of developments there, and we've come an awful long way in a relatively short time, that's for sure. So really super interesting. I'm going to come back to skills now. And again, it's permeated all our conversation today, which is lovely because, again, sometimes it's underexplored, and it's the vital thing alongside technology, as we all agree on that. It's really clear, which is fantastic. I'd love to like look at some tangible advice now to, that organisations can put in place to, to help ensure employees feel that they have that right skill set to do their job, and perhaps not just you know currently, but looking ahead, you know that reskilling and upskilling opportunity as well. So, um, Nick, I'd love to go to you first on this one.
1: Thanks, Sally. Um, sorry, I completely agree with you on, on on the skills point. It's it's been one of the biggest blockers that I think every organization has has seen. Um, in 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 Australia, there's there's especially in public sector there are both public and private private for longer, public now more recently in initiatives where they are actively trying to recruit. I'm going to kind of air quote, but you can't see me digital specialists in their hundreds to come and help power their new digital programs because they have got a lack of skills. Those skills are also lacking in in some kind of providers, they are lacking in in, in some kind of core business areas. And I, I think personally, the answer isn't recruiting or it's a balance between recruiting and, and reskilling. We can't just keep looking to the external market, inflating salaries and, and trying to kind of fight each other for the, the best talent. Yes, that's going to happen. And yes, that's needed. But it, it, more importantly for me, it's supporting people on their learning journey, identifying the people who have maybe a fear of starting out on that journey, feel that they're becoming irrelevant, fear that they they, they don't have a voice, fear that their skills are are in decline in terms of value within an organization and helping to identify their next steps. And it could be a career change, could be something completely different within the organization. Um, it could be something which is still within the same field, but they just need reskilling to become more relevant and understand some of the, the latest tech. And in many cases, most of the latest tech is, is based on maybe legacy tech <laughs> with, a, with a slightly different spin. Uh, so I think the fear factor is is a huge one to overcome, um, and for different people engaging with them differently is necessary. Whether it's simple surveys to to find out where people are up to and, and gain needs, um, all through to um, just simply providing continuous learning platforms to support that individual's learning pathway. I, I, I'll link it back to your your, your previous topic as well the, the the change between two years ago and now. I used to do a lot of my training or learning with reading, videos, podcasts, whatever it might be through my commute time. I used to spend a oodles of time on, on podcasts. Um, I had training courses and they were usually on my commute, whether it was driving trains, planes, whatever, whatever form of, of transport it was. That was my safe space, locked away time that I, I knew I would get each day, mostly without an escalation. Um, where I could focus on on what's happening, what's what's coming, what what are the trends, and also what are the more practical um, kind of things to put in place. Now it's changed because there's no commute, and and I'm I'm carving out time in a different way. I'm carving out time putting the kids to bed, or or just afterwards, or doing lunch and learn style events to to carve out time in the middle of the day. And I think people need to be much more mindful of the day and how to split their day up. Um, it, it sounds so basic, but it being changed your desk from. Almost eight through is common. Uh, uh, yes, we lost the commute, but we've also lost the the kind of thinking time because people think that that's now more productive time, and meetings are being scheduled at, at both ends of the day. But more importantly, it's promoting that learning culture, that continual learning culture, in whichever format it needs to be to allow people to consume it at the right time in the right format for them, um so that they they can start their learning journey and get over that initial fear, um, so that they they can get going.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. Could not agree more. And, and Brad, I know this is a subject close to your heart as well. So I, I wanted to say something, but I'm going to go to you first. But yeah, I, I love that description. So, so, so true. Brilliant stuff.
2: So it's easy to talk about skills in, yeah, we all need to do more data skills, more AI skills, more cloud skills, be certified in X and Y and Z. The, um, the skill that I think is most important, probably above anything else, uh, is curiosity. And um, and actually, it's a mindset. Um, to today's skills and today's technology is evolving so fast that actually the people I look for and the people that have progressed most uh, over the last few years in my experience are those that have got a thirst for learning and have got the curiosity to go and learn and go and play and go and gain experience. I think we uh, we have empowered uh, our organization in Fujitsu with um, you know, Democratise access to things like LinkedIn Learning and specialist technology learning platforms like PluralSight um, to give us access to data and um, you know, industry levelled competence and and quality of of, of kind of capability and, and also the ability to use data to identify and find your your your, your more tangible you know specific skills. But actually what it gives you is the ability then to also find those that are curious in subjects that are more progressive and more evolving or more innovative for the future. But And, and it's kind of identifying those people that are willing and able and pushing themselves to embrace the future, embrace the essence of learning and, and, and demonstrate that particularly strong skill of curiosity. I mean, that's absolutely critical to look out for. So the behavior element of learning is absolutely the paramount thing that I look at and value more than anything else. There is one other point that I think is really important on skills, and that is the experience of applying it. And we've really wrestled with over time. We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are certified in Microsoft and Amazon and DevOps and different competencies across the world. Uh, And we deliver it for day, day in, day out for customers. Those that are more curious and those that are particularly innovative or wanting to create and shape the future organisations, look for organisations that can offer purpose and interest in projects so that they can actually apply their skills and learning for something that's got a broader, more societal or, or you know, certainly compelling business driver or interesting in project which means they can play with the more cutting edge elements of innovative technology delivered from cloud and delivered from you know, modern application development techniques uh, as good examples or you know, AI or other such so so I think um, I think there is an element of you know once you found the right person those curious people that you need and, and to evolve from your organization uh, and it is about evolving your organization for the for the majority because um, those skills don't exist in, in in spades for you to be able to go and bring into your organisation. But it is about giving opportunity to apply that learning to create and drive innovation. So kind of we spent a lot of time in trying to match people post- post-courses, post-learning opportunities to be able to go and find and work on particularly innovations both internally of and externally with customers to be able to connect people with something that's going that's kind to of got a common purpose or an interest in so they can apply and learn and gain the experience of doing, not just a the theory of listening and reading.
0: Absolutely, I think that point about um, applying those skills, and particularly the purpose aspect you mentioned there, I think that's going to become quite a core differentiator, actually, in terms of you know from onboarding to, to retention of talent as well. Having that opportunity to be experiential, apply it for for societal good, or with you know and with the latest technology integrations as well, I think that's absolutely a great point. Love that about curiosity. Could not agree more. And I think the one thing that I was kind of itching to add, I'll mention it very quickly, is metacognition as well. Yeah, we talk about smart technology a lot we don't always do the bit about smart thinking in terms of facilitation so helping people to know how they learn best because we all do it differently and and nick made me smile when he said he was kind of like drawing something out with his hands and we couldn't see it and i do the kind of same thing and i wave my arms around and things like that i'm quite kinetic but we all learn in different ways and some people like that linear approach and some people want the small nuggets people are visual or like i say high energy or whatever it might be but quite often training and development is done in one particular way that doesn't fit everybody um so yeah metacognition helps you it's kind of like gym for your brain i would call it and it can help you to identify what works best for you and it can help teachers or facilitators or learners um to help um, bring the best out of people as well so that's a really interesting area again a bit steam centric i would say but i think it's super super helpful as well so that was kind of my two pennies on that one that's such an interesting subject you could have a whole podcast on that i think and uh, again, talking about um the, you know the the human side here. So again, keeping human centric here, one of the other things that comes up, and it's quite often the sort of thing you see on you know headlines that are picked out from a particular report or whatever. but it's that that fear word that we heard earlier on about technology you know supplanting the workforce. And there's been a lot of fear of change around that. So let's kind of change that round to, to really emphasising, you know, why human centric innovation is so important. I think it's quite clear. It's been a trajectory of this entire conversation in many ways, but love to just kind of spend a few minutes on that if we can. So maybe Nick on that.
1: Yeah, sure. Let me let me let me let me come back to that. So, uh, yeah, the, the fear stuff around, around know, the robots are taking our jobs or kind of automation is coming and, and, and we need to be fearful of it. Look, I, I, I don't see it like that, person. I, I, I see it as an, as an evolution, but it maybe it's more of a more of a mindset point. And, and going back to Brad's point around the approach people take and the way that they approach problems, well, either with a, a positive viewpoint or, or a defensive, fearful viewpoint. Um, if if we're going down the route, and we are that, that, that this is coming, we should we should we should adopt it, but also know where those boundaries are. I, I think I think the kind of human side of The workforce and and the jobs that most people do still is important, especially in the the kind of business world, um, in order to bring the whether it's morality or ideation or challenge and just discussion through that ideation process that that can funnel down and lead to a a better end result. Um, That can't be devalued. The, The kind of human centric design principles design thinking, the, the ability to uncover strategic issues or strategic problems and then find solutions for it. There's always going to be a need for, for a human brain and a human interpretation of that, in, in my view. Or at least there will be. And then the the you could bleed in so many different areas on this topic, whether it's ethics and, and morality. It's always going to require a human shape around the edge of it, I think, whether that's embedding morality into... The, the, the kind of technology solutions that we're putting in place, um, but ensuring that it's it's taken with a with the customer in mind and working backwards from that, that kind of customer experience business challenge back into technology and yes you can automate things and you could put AI and smarts around the, the delivery of the solution but it has to be done with a human lens otherwise people won't engage with it or people won't find value in it or, or maybe more importantly people won't trust it. Um, and I think trust is is a is a huge part of this. If if we if the machines are coming and we're going to get all get more interesting jobs, we have to trust in the leadership and, and the way that we're designing businesses that that will happen. I think in a, in a way it will it will self manage itself because of the, the societal will to either go with or or break against the the mold of of change. Um, if you see, and Brad mentioned kind of Google Homes or Alexa. If we trust that people go and, and, and go down that route if people are fearful of it they won't adopt the technology and it will need to go through a different cycle before it can be adopted properly i think that there's always going to be tension between adoption and technology and if it's done in the right way which is, which is with, with trust at the core i i believe it will it will be done in a way that, that will be adopted and, and and bring societal good um rather than the, the maybe the more fearful viewpoint put the, the question that you asked sally
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And that's what I'm, in terms of the question, it was kind of to try and flip it, if you know what I mean, to flip that narrative, because I couldn't agree more strongly. It's kind of complementary um, strengths, I would argue, is human technology and partnership. And it's so important, the language we use because um, it can have that you know a negative effect you know but some of the adjectives you see uh, are all on the, the taking away rather than focusing on what we can enable and having a far more balanced conversation so it was deliberately worded like that i could not agree more brad i'd love your thoughts on this one
2: the most memorable experiences are those that are human and involve people uh so i think the, the essence of human-centric innovation i think is critical um Innovations often interpreted as technology centric, but that, that's not true. I think um, human centric innovations about understanding how people's needs and understand how people live and work and breathe and and how they interact, you know, with each other. Uh, and actually, the most um, kind of powerful innovations are often, you know, kind of tweaking what you've got to just to make it work better or make it more accessible or more, you know, open to um, to to working. With people's needs and their ways of working, so you only have to look at you know some of the most most successful startups or innovative, perceived customer uh, companies in the world to to play to, uh, you know just providing better user interfaces is a, is a good example of that. Human centric innovation is about you know playing to and giving compelling experiences that are memorable, purposeful, and, and people relate to, and those that are able to 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 put the human first. I think is is those that will be the most successful. Um, I think um, there's a there's a build on that of uh, organisations have to play to this compelling evolution to um, humanity, looking at the broad the essence of societal good and sustainability today. Which means you know most innovation that will be compelling for the future has to be also not just human and profit, but you know the triple bottom line effect of people and and planet also, and I think uh, that that will will be the most prevalent and the most important that I think any organisation can see and and touch and can benefit their own overall growth and trajectory as a result of. But I think there is, yeah, you know, we're at a very interesting point in time with the pandemic, and then you know the the the, the arguably bigger problem of the, the planet and saving the planet because we only have a number of years, ten max, to be able to impact that. That means human centric innovation and you know, societal innovation. I think is absolutely essential and the reason I love working with Fujitsu and working for Fujitsu and have done is my values absolutely are centered on Fujitsu's own purpose and the value that our organization brings to the benefit of innovation for societal good.
0: Fantastic I love that and I know we've spoken about specific projects in the past Brad and it really rings rings true everything you're saying there it's very much about this shared value um for business and society and bringing those together. There's some great examples of that. And I'll I'll share some of those as well outside of the podcast with a little bit of a blog so we can bring some of those to light as well. Because I think it's hugely important and you know can inspire others to do the same. So that's brilliant. Love that. And maybe as a final thought now on this balance between people and technology. Have you got any you know, top tips, any advice to share about how to get that right? You know, that balance across the people, technology, the culture aspects we've, we've come to the fore throughout everything today. Just some some sharing points on that would be fantastic. Perhaps stay with you, Brad, first on that.
2: For me, it's really simple. It's um, look after each other, look after people, think about human, think about society, think about the bigger purpose. You know, the, the things that are most compelling to us, uh, as individuals and, and humans, effectively is you know kind of being connected to each other, and ultimately, technology is a great you know kind of way of enriching that life. And you know, human and AI or human and technology is always a more powerful combination. Uh, in my in my um, kind of world, at least, or the, the, my my mindset. But ultimately, it is about people. And, and you should come back to finding that purpose, finding what works, making sure you communicate effectively, making sure you look after each other, especially in this distributed, decentralized world where remote working and the, 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 the much reduced elements of human connection does test well-being and does do, does test mindfulness. And mental health is prevalent. And we've seen almost like a four, you know, fourfold increase over the last 18 months of mental health issues. You know, just look after each other, look, you know, connect yeah, you know, ask if your you know, people are right. Their families are right because it's really important.
0: Beautifully put. Absolutely, could not agree more strongly. Nick, anything for yourself on that one?
2: Oh,
1: I think I think Brad, Brad answered
2: that exceptionally
1: eloquently. I, I think tech is there to support those people. Certainly, at, at Fujitsu, we're, we're a people-based business. That that that's our core value. That the knowledge, the experience, the skills our people bring is is differentiating for us. And and the the way that those people engage with our customers. Like if we don't support them, support their, the the edges and were saying, Charlie, Before, um, I need some flexibility. I need to take my kids to school, or some remote learning. Or there, there are there are so many more human priorities which I think are being emphasised and prioritised more now over where it wasn't in in history. It, uh, it, I forget the stuff, but years and years ago, when when kind of industrial revolution time, people were they were going to work to survive. They were they were put up with potentially with abuse. They would put up with um, poor conditions in, in the workplace because they needed to eat. They needed to feed their family. We've gone past that, and then in the, in the kind of kind of mid nineteenth century, it was so twentieth century. It was all around improving standard of living, and you went to work to do that. You went to work to get maybe a little nicer plot of land, or a nicer house, or a few extra holidays. Now it's much more on that purpose point that Brad raised. I'm going to work because I believe in something. I want to have better connection. It's a relationship. It's a social side of things. It's a work-life balance thing. Yeah, if you support the people, then then use that technology to to give them a better outcome. Um that, uh, if you take it to that people lens, I don't think you can fail.
0: Absolutely, absolutely spot on. Perfectly worded, both of you. I think I think that's that's you know the, the other thing that sprung to mind there is um there's no differentiation between your personal values alignment and your professional ones it's bringing those together and I think you just brought that to the fore perfectly there that's beautiful I love that thank you So to kind of bring things to a close now, just want to draw on the recent research that Fujitsu's been involved in, some fascinating insights from that. And I wonder if you could just bring to the fore maybe a couple of stats each um, that really backs up everything we've been talking about today in terms of building agility into the business foundation and why it matters so much. Because some really illuminating insights in the two levels of of that research that's come out over the last few months. And perhaps Brad first.
2: So so, so the one that matters for me, Sally, I think, is that still today whilst we've seen massive amounts of evolution of, and digital transformation in organizations and society there is still way too many you know, programs and projects that are failing because they're trying to achieve too much the essence of iterate you know, deliver 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 and do, do do more with less has been prevalent in or any organization and the agenda of most it and business sort of drivers during covid i mean we have to work with the adaptability and agility and think about you know. Really eating the elephant bit by bit uh, or strangling applications strangling your modernization, whatever it be however you're going about it it's about it's about picking off the low hanging fruit or the bits of your organization to modernize it so that it's got compelling outcomes or compelling benefit uh, that's easily and quickly tangible uh, the world of you know 36 month programs ten year programs of change has gone you know we have to think about realizing benefit in days, weeks, maybe at maximum months, and you have to organize your organization, all of all of it, from business outcome to technology departments to partners and ecosystem of supply chain to be able to deliver on that. But ultimately it's about really thinking about delivering what matters in an iterative fashion so you can tangibly move your organization forwards and demonstrate you know outcome and benefit um for the for the benefit of all because people then buy into the change. You know, you can't do this. You know, work in the back and just get you know, a the moment of in 18 months' time of, of of service release X. They're just they're just no longer in line with expectation of customer, consumer, and and uh, citizens. I think so. That's for me. That's the critical element. Uh, we've seen, I think, 64% or something, nearly 70% of digital transformation programs fail in the past, uh, and I think a lot of that's due to the essence of. Um, iterate uh, not not trying too much of the elephant or a whole elephant all in once.
0: absolutely, absolutely. And Nick, from your perspective, what jumped out from you from that research?
1: Uh, look at that I think there's there's so many different stats that can can be used. I think that the essence is velocity for me that the the speed of change is increasing. the ability for organizations to be able to adjust to those different dynamics is is essential and has to be top priority. Um, and I'm, I'm, I will pull some stats through. So I think that there, was, there was 41% of organisations that, that admit that they rarely or sometimes or never keep up with the business needs in terms of the pace of change. Um, so there, there is a still a massive unmet need of what's required and when it's required. Um, that means that although, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw another one in there as well, that people are twice as likely to, to break themselves as fast, but not fast enough. Um, so although people, are, are organisations are struggling to keep up with the demand put on them by the changing conditions, and although they think they're fast, they know they need to go faster and they know they still can't keep up. And some of the barriers that that, that, that flagged through, the main ones that jumped out to me were the organisational and technology com- complexity. They were the two key barriers. I think there were about a third of the, the votes each um, for, for being that barrier to a, a allowing an organization to become adaptive. That technical change is, is necessity-driven. It, 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 without that technical ecosystem that is adaptive, supportive, agile, can, can, can mesh data and, and allow you to move faster, try experiments, release new features, whatever it might be, is key. Because if you're stuck with monolith or, or a kind of architecture which doesn't work for you technically, you still have a problem. The other side is that organisational one. So as we're moving away from kind of the rigid hierarchical organisations towards more of a fluid organisation towards democratisation of of decision-making and away from bureaucracy, that organisational barrier is still one that needs to be to be broken in order for organisations to truly become adaptive.
0: Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate that, and it's great that you brought to the fore you know, some of these points of friction so that people can be aware of that and work to to redress that. So, on that note, you know, looking at that research, if you could bring to the fore some top tips about you know, people listening now, what to look at first, how to move beyond this, and to become more agile, I wonder what those would be, and I'll perhaps continue with you, Nick, first, just drawing on your last points.
1: Yeah, well, I'll, let me let me use a, a maybe an internal example of, of, of a reference case for that. So, over the last eighteen months, my portfolio organization has has adopted a, a much more agile approach to, to releasing and, and and engaging with our stakeholders, our customers. By well, we've adopted safe or scaled agile, so, so we we use that as a methodology that is common language to across the business, and I think that common language is is crucial in the understanding. When people are turning up to system demos or talking about lean business cases or talking about vanity metrics, if the language isn't consistent, there's either misunderstanding or misunderstanding, or it is, it is a case of people being again fearful and and they will disengage because they don't feel that they're enabled and they don't think they can contribute and they they become you know, boxed in and, and and disengaged from the process. So by by doing that within, and I'll, I'll continue with the the, the example, we've had a six times faster release cadence we've spoken to far more customers and got their input into the products and services that we're developing we have set up customer engagement forums customers have become advocates we've increased our team's motivation um i think looking out for how your teams naturally want to be involved in things you, you will find and you'll see the parts of the organization which are suffering because people don't want to be part of those projects, it's almost an internal organisation of the thing that Brad mentioned in, in in the previous one. People want to be driven by the exciting projects and the interesting, purposeful work that they can engage in. If you see that people are moving from one part of the business to another, it, it can give you a lens to, to to go and understand why and try and put some measures in place to fix it. And then externally, just to finish on that example. Um, through that process through those extra releases through that better engagement and, and new new service product relaunches our customers are much more likely now to become advocates and, and our mps score for the digital transformation has increased by over nearly thirty 30.6 27 point something points um, which is a huge jump and um, certainly for, for an organization like ours who are engaging with multiple customers in multiple industries and often with multiple organizations around the edges of us um, it, it's a, there's a, there are tangible things that can turn the dial um, in terms of implementing them. Common language, common process, starting small, building up and having executive buy-in are all crucial elements to enable that type of uh, uh, change within an organisation to, to reach a more adaptable outcome.
0: Brilliant, Nick. That's great. I love the tangibility of those as well. That, that's really, really clear. Fantastic. And Brad, from, from yourself, any uh, kind of final advice on that one?
2: So I think for for me... Organizations have to look at um, four things. I mean, firstly, ensure they communicate the purpose of why and what their organization exists for and what the value of the project you're doing is, and it works in different levels. I mean, secondly, looking at skills and you know, digital literacy and democratizing you know, modern skills and giving opportunity to learn and, exp- and gain experience is critical. Uh, I think, uh, thirdly, um, embracing the essence of modern ways of working Such as design thinking and uh, agile, or safe, kind of um, as a particular example of agile uh, as a method. You're looking at making sure people are encouraged to drive different ways of working. um, I think is essential. And as part of that, I think uh, I think really importantly, connecting business and technology uh, together. uh, Really, I've seen the 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 most prevalent benefit from, uh, and in really delivering tangible business benefit and outcome rather than the two working independently in silos. The last one's about data, leveraging data to make decisions and inform direction and look at the micro uh, kind of trends and, and you know, really enrich data for the organisation is critical. And that means integrating more systems together and, and leveraging and educating people in the ability to use and visualise data in different ways. Um, interestingly Fujitsu have just been on our own transformation journey we're starting from the very top of Fujitsu in and I don't like thinking about the top because I'm not generally hierarchical but, uh, but, but it's important in most traditional and hierarchical uh, cultures and organizations if you like um, but we have been educating an executive first kind of broad awareness of all of the leaders across our business around the world in exactly those four things uh, finding and doing purpose carving looking at Educating in design and thinking about making sure executives are leveraging design thinking, educating in agile ways of working and, and embracing safe and other uh, kind of agile methods, uh, and then looking at in, ensuring the use of data is, is paramount in how we drive our own business, but also educating our own people in how to get the best from data and how we can you know, kind of democratize the, the availability of it. And, and all that's part of our own Fujitsu transformation journey.
0: That's brilliant, Brad. Thank you for sharing that. And and kind of just turning that around a second as well. Just love to maybe as a a final thought, just share a little bit more about how Fujitsu is helping other organisations with some of these challenges as well. I mean, you mentioned that transformation journey there, which is superb. And a few projects have come out naturally as well. But maybe as a final thoughts about that, you know, how you're supporting others um, through this as well to really optimise those opportunities.
2: I think um, the reason... Many of our customers enjoy working with Fujitsu because co-creation and human-centric design and human-centric innovation is at the heart of what we do. We are very collaborative. We are very cultural and and very sensitive to uh, our Japanese heritage and culture, and we live and breathe relationship for the long term. And therefore, whichever customer, whether that's public sector and government or private sector or NGOs and others, kind of wherever we're working, ultimately, we're, we're about giving back I think more more so than ever before, the essence of our purpose around society innovation is critical, and social value of supporting the the, the greater good of humanity and society and improving through know, uh, investments in different ways. Uh, back into society I think is absolutely critical so we're big into big into social value and sustainability at the heart of what we do and I think debt um, generally is what resonates and makes us different to most of our competitors.
0: Thank you Brad that's super interesting and it certainly aligns with you know, my experience in Japan as well that the, the societal focus and the heart that keeps coming out in the conversation today I absolutely love that I think that's super and Nick just just to end with yourself your final thoughts on that subject.
1: Well, I, I, again, Brad's done a, a wonderful job of, of summarizing the Fujitsu the, the ethos in, in, a, in a couple of sentences. I mean, that's great. I think that we do it with you rather than we do it to you is, is such a core value within the way that we engage. It's very relationship-based. It's taking your priorities. We won't come in with a kind of we know everything. But we'll engage. We'll understand your business and priorities and, and paint a journey which maps back to what strategically means most to you. Um, every customer's journey is different through this some things need to go faster some things need maybe more technical transformation um, and some people need additional handholding to enable themselves as what rather than just kind of typical outsourcing it, it, the, the engagement the partnership the enablement of customers to be in control of their own destiny and, and enabling that i think is is again an, another core facet that, that can't be underestimated
0: that's fantastic, Nick. That's a brilliant way to end it on. Again, it's almost back to that democratisation subject in many ways, isn't it? So that's fantastic. This human-centric innovation has kind of permeated everything we've talking about today. Um, and it's great to see that brought to life with so many tangible examples alongside our conversation as well, you know, right through from technology through to culture and skills and shared value at the end of the day. It's so, so important. So thank you both. Honestly, it's a fantastic conversation. I'm looking forward to revisiting aspects of it as well. I will be coming back to you on some of those projects. that's for sure so thank you so much brad and nick for your time today and for everyone listening thank you so much
2: absolute pleasure thanks sally thanks all cheers yeah thank you
0: thank you brad and thank you nick what a fantastic immersive conversation this has been on all things agility and that brings us to the end of our two-part special thank you both and thanks everyone for joining us see you soon on tomorrow's tech today Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind-the-scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.